So where can you purchase eco-friendly fashion items from t-shirts to coats, wallets to duffel bags, and everything in between? GrapeCat.com. Better than an online shopping mall, GrapeCat.com is an online vegan retail store whose brands cause the least impact on your budget and the environment. If you believe we all should dress compassionately, visit GrapeCat.com. That's G-R-A-P-E-C-A-T.com. Hi, this is James Lucas, and this is a vegan fashion and business podcast. Creating a vision, seeking our passion. Great cat, compassion, fashion. Made in the US, eco friendly. High quality without getting all spendy. We create the best, bringing it to you. Shirts, coats, wallets, everything we do. Dress with compassion, we're a vegan store. Grapecat.com for more. Hey, Grape Cats. I'm James Lucas, and welcome to Episode 7 of the Grape Cat Vegan Fashion and Business Podcast. More and more people are looking for good quality clothing, bags, and accessories that meet their desire to do their part when it comes to the impact they have on the environment. Grape Cat is the largest online retailer of top-quality earth and animal-friendly products for the conscientious consumer. At Grape Cat, we do the research that saves you time and money. If you're looking for products that make a difference, visit GrapeCat.com today. On today's podcast, I talked to Andy Tabar, the owner of Compassion Co. and the co-host of The Bearded Vegans. Andy talks about why he went vegan, his favorite vegan restaurants, and VegFest. Here's Andy. How and why did you become vegan? So I wish that I had like a nice light bulb moment, but it was just kind of... I kind of stumbled into the whole thing. Um, in college, I was not vegan or vegetarian, but I had a speech class, and I had to do a persuasive speech for one assignment, and I have no idea why, but I chose to do it on why you should go vegan, and so I you know, did all the research, and through that, I was like, huh, there's really not a compelling reason for anyone to not be vegan, at least you know, someone that's in my shoes that has you know, all the access to everything you need, um, so I so through that, I tried being vegan for like a month. I, like I didn't last a month, basically. And I kind of forgot about it. And then I used to tour in my band. And we were about to head out on a six-month tour. And I have no idea why we were talking about this. But half the band, three of us, were talking about, hey, we should go vegetarian. And we kind of made this plan. You know, we were doing full U.S. and we were starting Connecticut, going clockwise around the country. And we're like, well, we can't do it in Florida because there's these gator tacos. And we can't do it in Texas because of Sam's Burger Joint. And there's In-N-Out in California, but we've never been to, you know, Portland or Seattle or anything before. So let's do it after California. And we were in California and our friend took us to a burrito place. And the burrito just happened to be, the veggie burrito was the cheapest on the menu. And the three of us kind of looked at each other and we're like, you know, I start now. We're like, Sure. And it was like, there's no transition phase. There was no uh, struggle. It was just like, just clicked and did it. And, you know, then you're driving up the five and you see the cows on the side of the road. And you're like, oh, I'm glad I'm not contributing to that anymore. But of course, you know, had forgotten about the whole dairy thing. Then we toured with a band full of vegans and they kind of showed us the way. 
and they were, you know, unlike any vegan I'd met before that, they were very kind and not judgmental. And they'd let me try their horrible cream cheese and let me make fun of it and wouldn't give me crap about, you know, being this like stuck up, like I would never go vegan person. And then a few months later, I picked up a vegan cookbook and just started doing it secretly. Didn't tell anyone. And then, uh, you know, two weeks in, another band member was like, seems like you're vegan now. And I was like, yeah, I guess I'm vegan now. And that was eight years ago. And it was just like, same thing with going vegetarian. Just it clicked and I just hit the ground running. And, you know, quickly it just became, you know. So you found it easier that it was a group effort than just you trying to do it by yourself. Yeah, it definitely helped having that support network. But it also just didn't feel like a hard thing to do, even though I acknowledge, I, I can acknowledge that I think it can be hard to go vegan, even though everyone who's vegan, we all know it's very easy to do, but sort of that initial like push to do it is hard. So yeah, having two other friends where we were like, oh, let's order this, uh, let's order this. And we made a lot of our own food on the road. And actually we start, we bought a rice cooker. We started making chili. We started making rice and beans for burritos in there. And I became like the band cook. So basically everything was just default vegan, you know, or vegetarian. Um, and so that was also very easy because it was also the, ch the cheapest way for us to feed the entire band. Um, and we did have one member went vegan before I did. And I remember like being like, oh, it's such a pain to look for honey in the bread for, you know, PB&Js and stuff. And, and now I look back and I'm like, ah, I should have been supporting him. But, you know, the dominoes fell pretty quickly anyway. What are the biggest lies, myths and misconceptions about veganism? When I think about that, I think of two different angles. The first is misconceptions of people looking in on veganism. And I think more than anything, more than health... Um, or any of that, you know, nutrition, protein, I think people just have no idea how delicious the food is. Um, I, I wish that everyone could just eat what I eat. And I'm in a lucky position where I'm traveling all the time and I'm going to all these really cool vegan restaurants. But even back home where they're in Connecticut, New Haven, where there's no all vegan restaurants, I eat such an amazing variety of delicious food. It's never a problem to find. And so I, I, if I, I feel like if everybody in the world just knew that they didn't have to give up anything that they love, just sort of get it from a different source, um, I feel like, you know, the, the dominoes would fall so much faster because I think more than anything, people are just scared that they're not going to be able to eat delicious food anymore. So that's sort of the misconception looking in on veganism. And then the other one, I think, is from within veganism, which is I think a lot of vegans feel like, once you go vegan, that's it. That's the end of the line. You're this perfect, amazing person. And um, I feel like a lot of vegans aren't willing to, to continue that progression. So, you know, I feel like it's a misconception that vegan is the end and that there's no more work to be done. And there's still obviously plenty of issues, even within food, like palm oil, chocolate, bananas, all that stuff. But even in terms of accepting other Systems of oppression, racism, sexism, etc. I know that's not like the focus of this podcast, but um, I feel like a lot of people go, oh, I'm vegan, I'm good to go. And I certainly fell into that trap as well. Um, and that's something we talk about on my podcast. Since you've been traveling around the country, what is your favorite restaurant? Ooh, that's, uh, <laughs> you know, I, it's hard to pick favorites. The few that come to mind, Homegrown Smoker in Portland, which is uh, all all vegan barbecue cart and they're about to open a, a storefront and they have like barbecue soy curls, tempeh ribs, th this most amazing mac and cheese. Um, that's definitely in my top like three places to eat. Um, I love, 
Woodlands in DC, which is just like a vegan soul food place. And uh, up in Connecticut, there's a place in Bridgeport called Shandles, which doesn't get you know a ton of love from sort of the the vegan community because it's just this guy Shandel doing his thing, making ital food. You walk in, there's twelve dishes made, and you you pick six for your plate. You leave with you know for like eight or ten dollars this giant plate of the most delicious food ever. Um, so those would probably be my top three places to eat. So how and when did the idea of Compassion Company begin? Um, I had been vegan for about three or four years, and I had gotten to that point where I was comfortable with it. I wanted to be speaking out about it. I wanted to start conversations, and I was looking for T-shirts that could sort of start those conversations for me. And I was looking online, and I couldn't find anything I liked. I found there was sort of two ends of the spectrum. There was this sort of really hippy-dippy white T-shirt, picture of tofu, I heart tofu type shirt. And then there was... Um, the sort of more militant all black t-shirts, you know, stuff that's like, you can't eat meat with a broken jaw. And I'm like, you know, that's not, that's not going to start a good conversation. And so, um, you know, I just figured, well, I should do this because with the band, I was the one booking the shows, ordering the merch, you know, had the friends that were the screen printers, the artists. So I sort of had the infrastructure. And, uh, the other thing was that I found a lot of the vegan shirts. I'd look at the tag and I'd be like, oh, this is like Haynes or Gildan and it's made in, um, you know, slave labor in China or Ecuador or something like that. And um, I know that's not explicitly a part of what vegan is as by the definition of veganism, but I also felt like it just didn't fall in line with that ethic and just, you know, being a decent human being, it felt like it was important for us to pay attention to the production of you know, the products that we were creating. So I wanted to make something that was aesthetically pleasing, had a message that I thought would, you know, catch people's eye, start a good conversation, and also maintain the vegan ethic throughout the whole chain of production. What's the biggest lesson you've learned about running a t-shirt company? Uh, It's a lot of work. Uh, (laughs) I feel like, you know, everyone and their mom has a t-shirt company, not necessarily in the vegan world, but um, there's there's a huge community of of like t-shirt companies and vendors and lots of resources and websites for them and I feel like a lot of people are like I could come up with a phrase and put it on a shirt and put it online and I'm gonna sell a ton of them and I thought that was kind of the case when I started I was like I'm just gonna have a really good design and I'll put it up on tumblr and everyone's gonna freak out and buy them and that was not the case you know I had like two orders the next day after I put them up um, so yeah it was definitely it turned out that, you know, doing this is a lot of work and a lot more work than I had anticipated. Where do the great t-shirt ideas come from? This will sound pretentious. Uh, it's it's kind of something that just has to come to me. Like, it's like poetry. Like, you can't force it. Um, and so it's just kind of floating out there in the ether. And every now and then, one kind of lands in my brain. And I'm like, oh, that's a good idea. Um, I try I try and come up with them. And I'll think... Uh, oh, what issue isn't being addressed on a T-shirt and how could I make that funny or clever or interesting? But at the end of the day, it just sort of has to pop into my head. Um, and then I usually overthink it and, and let it rattle around for like half a year before I even th- talk to anybody else about if it's a good idea. Yeah, I mean, I've I've had people come up to me and give me ideas and I kind of just brush them off because I don't know where they got the idea from, <laughs> even if it's a good idea. Do you find that too, that when people are coming up to you and wanting you to design a t-shirt for them? Well, I feel like that's two separate things. Like one, people do give me ideas and usually they're not great. Um, 
you know, I've had people message me and, and be like, I have an idea. Can I get a cut if you make it a shirt? And, and I'm like, well, sure. Yeah. Well, you know, I obviously compensate my artist and that would be the same for someone giving me the idea. What's your idea? And then it's like a horrible idea or something that just doesn't, you know, fit with the vibe of the co- the company. Like I'm, you know, I try to maintain a consistent kind of branding and messaging and, and imagery and aesthetic and, and I'm just like, why did you bring that message to me? Like, why don't you just go make that shirt? That doesn't fit with what I'm doing. Um, and people do ask me to make shirts for them, you know, and collaborate. We've collaborated with, you know, farm sanctuaries and some uh, small businesses and stuff like that. Um, and I'm happy to do that. But, yeah, sometimes people, like, ask me to make, like, one shirt. And you're like, that's not what we do. We do, like, large runs of screen-printed shirts. You can go to Cafe Press and get your one shirt made. What do you wish you knew before starting your business? What I wish I knew and what I still wish I knew was how to like really do the business end of stuff. And I took a small business course and I, I try to know the be up on accounting and all that stuff. And I'm still not great at that. And I guess I wish I had like spent more effort on the accounting end of things. Um, because that's like, that's my biggest you know pain is like, the back end of the whole business. Cause I love doing the events. I love making the shirts. I like talking to people about all these issues, but, uh, as far as being a, a businessman and knowing the numbers and all that stuff, I'm, I'm still not great at that. That is the toughest part about doing this business is I have the same problem is like, I'm still learning my numbers and the numbers are huge. And then you start digging down into them and you start to realize that these shows are actually costing you money and you're not making money. Yeah. And uh, I think sometimes I try and maintain some sort of willful, willful ignorance to that because there's some things that I really enjoy doing that probably aren't turning a profit. And like, I can look at the basic numbers of like, well, the table cost was this and the cost to produce shirts is this and travel. But I'm like, what else am I not taking into account? Is this really good for the company? But um, I also you know, enjoy doing certain things. Like I just did the Arizona Veg Food Fest and had to drive from Connecticut to Arizona for that. And now I'm just in California, living in my van, having a great time. And it's like, it probably would have been more fa- like, uh, you know, fiscally responsible to, uh, to just stay in Connecticut and do mail orders. But, you know, where's the fun in that? Why did you start doing Veg Fest? I, you know, early on, I had set a few goals for myself. And one of them before I even made a single shirt was that I wanted to do the Boston Veg Fest. And that was the first veg fest I had ever done. And I remember, you know, walking in after being vegan for two or three years and just like this, like, oh, like, you know, just breath of fresh air. I'm with my people. And obviously not everyone there was even vegan or vegetarian, but it just felt really good. And I knew that was somewhere that I wanted to be. And obviously it's a good place to get your shirts in front of a very niche audience. So, um, you know, so, so that was sort of always a part of my plan. And then from doing that first one, I realized, oh, this is where, you know, so many of the people that want to buy my shirts, even if they don't know it yet, are going to be. So I sort of made it my business to, to get my shirts out to as many VegFests as possible. And what is your favorite VegFest? That is tricky. I feel like, you know, there's sort of like the really big, huge ones where you sell a lot of shirts and meet a ton of people and you're exhausted at the end of the day, but you feel like you've like really worked hard, like uh, the New York Veg Food Fest. Um, that's definitely one of my favorites. Uh, but then there's also ones that are smaller, sales aren't as big, but it's just a really great vibe, really fun atmosphere. 
and um, Baltimore Vegan Soul Fest fits into that. Um, I feel like a lot of times Veg Fests have music that is just sort of really like crunchy, hippie, like bongo and acoustic guitar. And like, to me, the the purpose of the Veg Fest, even though that's not why I'm there, I'm there to reach the converted already, but is to like sell people on veganism and be like, look how much fun we have, look at the community that we have, and a lot of the music that's at Veg Fest, I'm like, you're gonna turn people away from veganism. But Vegan Soul Fest was like hip hop and dance groups, and like the vibe was really fun. So, um, you know, despite the fact that it wasn't the most financially, you know, um, profitable thing. It was still a really fun time, and all the people I met were were super cool. So those two would probably be high up on my list. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think the the uh, Baltimore Vegan Soul Fest is one of my favorites too. It was such it was so much fun this year, and um, the music was great. The people are great. The new venues fantastic. So next year, I think, or this year, it should be even better. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited for it. I can't wait to go back. And, you know, even though it was one where you had to sort of drag your stuff like half a mile from the parking lot, and despite all of that, it was it was still like one of my favorite events that I did last year. Why did you start the Bearded Vegans podcast? Uh, so uh, Paul, my co-host, he had started a podcast with his brother, and then his brother wanted to start like a podcasting network just kind of like a record label, but instead of a collection of bands, it's a collection of podcasts. And that was called The Commentist. And he, he they're just looking to make more podcasts for it. And Paul asked me, you know, hey, I want to do a vegan podcast. Would you want to be my co-host or just coast, you know, host some of the time with me? And I said, sure. And I had been wanting to do a podcast, but I knew I couldn't do it by myself. And so it just happened that he asked me, I'm like, okay, this is perfect timing. And I don't think we knew what the format was going to be, what we were really going to talk about at first. We just sort of wanted to do it. And, you know, after a couple of episodes, we sort of settled into this format where we're talking about the ethical gray areas of veganism, things that aren't necessarily, you know, we weren't trying to be a vegan 101 podcast. We weren't trying to necessarily reach people who weren't vegan yet to get them on our side. Although we've gotten a lot of emails from people that have said they've gone vegan from because they've listened to us. Uh, but we wanted to talk about issues in the vegan community that aren't really talked about, especially in sort of the mainstream vegan movement. And, you know, just sort of be this kind of, you know, quote unquote, normal, approachable, reasonable vegan viewpoint. And, you know, we talk about the food that we've eaten. We talk about movies that we're watching and, you know, vegan films and stuff. But then we also talk about deeper issues uh, like hero worship in the vegan movement or, you know, racism in the vegan movement. Um, and we just did a great podcast where we collaborated with the Vegan Warrior Princesses Attack podcast. And we talked about, you know, should you share really good content from people that you don't like? So maybe you don't like PETA, maybe you don't like Gary Grofsky, but they make something really good. Should you share it? And so we ask questions like that on the podcast. So it's not, how do you cook vegan? Um, and so part of it is like, I think that's to help the retention rate of, you know, so we don't lose vegans. It's like, we need something for people to be listening to after they've gone vegan and they've, they've got the cooking down, they've got their vegan shoes. They're not going to the zoo, but they need something deeper to talk about and, and explore their vegan community. So we're kind of hoping to fill that void. Who has had a tremendous impact on you? So I don't, I don't really have any big like heroes or anything like that, but um, honestly the, the vegan business community, those are the people that have the impact on me. 
Um, there is a, I forget who said it, but it's a really great phrase that is, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. And so I love, I love that. And I love to be surrounded by people that are more motivated than me, working harder than me. And I find that in the vegan business community. And I consider myself a hard worker, but I love, um, you know, Dan and Nicole from Upton's Naturals. Those are some of my favorite people because they work so hard and they're so smart and they just always seem to be 10 steps ahead in what they're doing with their business. Um, I love Doomy Bay from Redefine Your Mind because he came from, you know, he had so many obstacles in his life and he's one of the most motivated people I know to learn and to like grow in his personal development as well as business development. And, you know, there's dozens of other people with, with stories like that or with that kind of motivation. And, and those are the people that really inspire me on a daily basis, as well as, you know, all the sort of the foot soldiers of the vegan movement, not the big figureheads that are giving speeches, but the people that are out there, you know, not getting accolades, but doing the education work, getting leaflets out, showing videos to people. Those are those are the people that really inspire me to to keep going and to, you know, to push myself to work harder. What has been your biggest struggle? So as um, as a sole proprietor, you know, the the success or failure of the business rests on my head. And it basically is limited by how hard I'm willing to work and how much effort I'm willing to put in. And, you know, so some days it's a struggle to like clear out your inbox, send out the, the mail orders or come up with something creative, you know? Um, so that's sort of my biggest thing is like making sure I continue to have the motivation. So that's certainly my biggest struggle. What has been your biggest victory? I think that overall, just the fact that I'm now four years into the company and it's my sole source of income and I'm living a life that's sort of been designed around what I like to do. Um, that's a big victory to me. Uh, the fact that I get to travel all the time, I get to meet all these wonderful people. I get to, you know, get a lot of alone time, go hiking and all of that while, you know, providing something to people to help them spread the vegan message. I donate, you know, um, usually 5% of every sale, but we do some special projects. So I, um, donate last year, 2014, um, I haven't done my 2015 taxes yet. 2014, we donated $13,000 to nonprofits and stuff. Um, so th things like that, I, I feel like that's like a huge victory that I can support all these people while supporting myself and living a life that I feel comfortable and, and proud to be living. Finally, what are you grateful for? I'm grateful for the community. I'm grateful for the support that I get from, you know, everyone that's, at, you know, the customer and, and all those people that I meet. But I'm also grateful for, you know, the vegan business community. I'm grateful for my family and uh, the fact that I'm able to do what I do. I, I'm certainly grateful for all the support that I get that makes that happen. What is the best way for people to contact you? I got a couple things going on as far as Compassion Company goes. If you just want to, if you're looking to look at the shirts, order shirt, compassionco.com. So compassionco.com. And we have all the social media stuff, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr. So you can reach us on any of that. If you want to email me directly, that's just compassioncompany at gmail.com. And if people are interested in checking out the Bearded Vegans podcast, you can just find us on iTunes, you can find us on Stitcher, or you can go directly to the podcast network that I mentioned, which is thecommentist.com. So that's like commentist.com. Thank you so much. Cool. Thanks for having me, James. Thank you for listening to the Grape Cat Vegan Fashion and Business Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can find the show notes at grapecat.com. 
do us a favor before you go. Please take a few seconds to rate this podcast. It is a key way to get this podcast higher in the ranks, which will make it more accessible to people who truly need this information. Thank you so much for taking the time to do that. Make sure you never miss a future episode of this podcast by subscribing. If you have any questions or guest ideas, please send them to podcast at grapecat.com. Thank you for dressing compassionately. Creating a vision, seeking our passion. Great cat, compassion, fashion. Made in the US, eco friendly. High quality without getting all spendy. We create the best, bringing it to you. Shirts, coats, wallets, everything we do. Dress with compassion, we're a vegan store. Grapecat.com for more.